My name is Luke. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm the teaching pastor. It's good to have you at Legacy Church. Um, if you have a Bible with you, go ahead and turn to 1 Timothy 3. Um, as Kevin kind of already alluded to, we have a special service today. Um, I feel like it's always important to tell guests that, you know, just to give you forewarning. I'm actually only going to be up here for probably half the time I, I typically am. Um, but just if you are a guest or you've not been coming for very long, we've been going through the book of Galatians um, for the last two months, maybe ten weeks. And it's been a helpful book. We're, we're pausing it today, but it's been a very, very helpful book um, to kind of give you a portrait of what Galatians has been showing us. It's just, really, it's a portrait of a church planter, a pastor, a church planter and a pastor um, appealing and pleading with a set of churches that he helped plant, right? Paul is writing a letter to the churches in Galatia. Now, these churches are really, it's not a single church, it's a group of churches that he was responsible for planting, that he went in, he's the one that laid the foundation of the gospel, he's the one that cried with them, did life with them, bled with them, celebrated with them, and saw churches grow out of that, right? And then he set in pastors, and then he left, and he went, kind of shoved on to go plant more churches. But in his absence, as he left Galatia, you had false teachers come in, right? These false teachers were Jewish false teachers, and they came with a different gospel than what Paul had labored so heavily in laying down. Paul was preaching a gospel of grace, that whether you're a Gentile or a Jew, a guy or a girl, whether you were found by God totally misbehaving or you were found doing the best you can to follow all the rules, God finds us all the same and extends his grace to us. That his grace comes to us totally free of anything that we can contribute to him to earn it. It comes um, despite our best attempts to earn it and get it, and it comes despite our best attempts to just shove him away and replace him altogether. And it's this beautiful, beautiful gospel that was actually creating better obedience out of these people, not because they were trying to please God, but because God was already pleased with them through what Jesus Christ had already done. Well, these false teachers came in and they said, well, Paul has it mostly right, but he actually missed the part where you're supposed to have a diet that looks a little bit like ours and a calendar that looks a little bit like ours and some customs that look a little bit like ours. And whenever you can look a little bit more like us culturally, then you become a Christian. They were adding things to the gospel. So what you have is, in a wholesale fashion, you have churches, entire churches, departing, drifting and departing away from the gospel. And that's a problem. What it shows us, really in sobering fashion, really, is that it is important for churches to have alert, aware, quick, watchful pastors that will look for error in the church, will look for bad doctrine in the church, that will see something that smells a little bit different than what is true gospel as it comes in the door. It's really important. You see, they had pastors there. These churches that drifted away from the gospel, they had pastors. Galatia had pastors. I've seen this happen. Some of you have been in churches where this has happened. Some of you have seen it, maybe from across the street, where a teaching comes in, maybe a cool book, maybe some teaching of some emergent topic that kind of sounds almost just right, but it's a little bit off, right? Some charismatic speaker that comes, it has a lot of sway, a lot of gifting of how to communicate something, and before you know it, you have a doctrine that is very far from the gospel, is ripping churches into pieces. 
I've seen that happen, and, it, and this serves us. Galatians serves us here at Legacy. It's a very good cautionary tale, especially for our pastors here, because we're not beyond this. I'd like to promise that we are. And it'd be easy for all of us to sit around and go, no, it never happened to us. We'd never drift from the gospel. We use the word too much. We say gospel all the time. How could, how could we be away from it? Luke, it's impossible. Even if all 800 pulpits in the Knox metro area, even if they all depart from the gospel, we'll be the Alamo of good theology here. And we'll never, ever, 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 ever swing away from it. That would be true if the pastors don't stink. If our pastors do a good job at rooting out her- or heretical doctrine, rooting out bad teaching, if we do a good job, then by God's grace we'll lead this church in a good direction. But if the pastors stink, well, listen, then bad teaching is always pressing in from every angle. It's like a submarine being underwater. Water is always pressing in. That water is looking for any little way it could get inside that boat. It's looking for any little crack, any little door. And that's the way bad teaching is. That's the way heretical doctrine is. This is a good, um, I guess, example of what I'm talking about. This is not in 1 Timothy 3, but it will serve us well today. It's going to be on the screen. It's in Acts 20. Some of you know of the context of what's going on. This is the Apostle Paul. Just to set up the stage for you, he is drifting through a little town called Miletus. He's on his way to Jerusalem because he's finishing up his third missionary trip. At some point, God had... I guess, communicated to him that this is kind of his farewell tour. He's finishing up. He knows that when he sees people, he's possibly seeing them for the very last time. Miletus is about 40 miles away from Ephesus, so he sends for the Ephesian elders to come down in Miletus to meet him, that he could do what you do whenever you say goodbye to folks. And that's basically what the scene looks like. There's crying, there's weeping, there's celebrating what God has done, there's high fives, there's hugs. Last-minute words, probably some gifts. And then in that time, Paul actually charges them. He gives them some directions just in this last minute. And he says this in verse 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure... Fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Paul is saying that there would be fierce wolves. Fierce wolves coming up from that church. Very possibly men standing right there in the huddle of goodbyes with Kleenexes in their hands and tears all over. Even them would rise up Get this thing some, somewhere, get this bub, and then just start preaching this knockoff gospel, and then slowly but methodically ripping the church to pieces. There is a shepherd, his name is Philip Keller. I don't think he's related to Tim Keller. It, I don't, it doesn't matter if he is or not, but he is this agricultural researcher, and he's studied shepherding a lot of his life, and he is an experienced shepherd in parts of Canada and Western Africa, and he describes the scene pretty vividly of what happens when a fierce wolf gets into a flock. Right? He says it this way, often in blind fear or stupid unawareness, the sheep stand rooted to the spot, watching their companions being cut to shreds. The predator will pounce on one and then another of the flock, raking and tearing them with tooth and claw. Meanwhile, the other sheep may act as if they don't even hear or recognize the carnage going on around them. (laughs) 
They don't know what's going on. It's just a book. It's just a podcast. I can't hurt anything. It is as though, he says, they were totally oblivious to the peril of their own precarious position. He's describing what happened in Galatia. He's describing what's going on in Galatia. I would actually submit he's describing what's going on in a lot of places in the Deep South, even Knoxville. Today, currently, there are even places that in the name of love and in the name of unity and in the name of being cool, things are dripping in the door and the pastors are watching it and not speaking to it and it's not helping the people, it's hurting the people, it's stupid pastoring. What we need, and not just in legacy, but what we need is a global church. We need watchful, alert, healthy, qualified, desirous, joyful pastors. And we don't need a few, folks. We need a deep roster. We need an army. We need an army of good biblical pastors. Now, notice I've used some words interchangeably, like elder, pastor. I think I've said overseer, shepherd. The reason I use those words interchangeably is because they're interchangeable, right? The early Greek Christians, they had no problem switching out overseer for, you know, elder or pastor from shepherd. They, They felt very comfortable in that. And sure enough, for us, it actually means the same thing. In fact, in 1 Peter 5, which we're going to put up on the screen, unless you're fast in your Bible, I'll explain what Peter shows us. He actually names a few of them right in the same passage, how synonymous they are. So I exhort the elders among you, he says... As a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. That's a role. A shepherd. Exercising oversight. There's another one. Overseer. Not under compulsion. That's important. But willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd, that's Jesus, by the way, when he appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Now, when we hear the word pastor today, because we don't really, most, most of the time people don't really think of elders. They think of pastors. Even if you've not even grown up in the church, if you've just grown up in the South, you understand pastor or pastors are the dudes that run the church, right? And it almost forms a little bit of a pyramid. You've got the head dude, the dude that speaks all the time, right? The dude that's first on the website. He's right there at the very, very top. And underneath him, you've got like vice pastors or something like that. Executive pastors, family life pastors. There's so many titles, aren't there? Worship pastors, youth pastors, college pastors. But they all kind of follow rank and file. And then at the bottom, you have like a board of elders, right? Usually wealthy people, right? Usually people that have jobs that are of high esteem in the culture. And that's usually what you have, right? This is not a biblical picture of plurality or eldership in the Bible. This is not a biblical picture. Think more of this. Not pyramid, but flat plain, okay? Out of 18 times in the New Testament that pastoring or leading a church is mentioned, 15 of those are in plural format, which means Paul is not speaking to a pastor of a church. He's speaking to pastors. 15 out of 18. What does this mean for us? It means we don't have a senior pastor here. We don't. Jesus is our senior pastor. But Luke, that's goofy, I mean, you're the one that preaches all the time. I mean, you could say that, but you're, you're the one that's up there all the time. I know that. I know that. But I'm not the senior pastor. I'm a lead teaching pastor, which means I get to do this gig full time, right? 
I get to develop and spend as much time as I need to to do the job that God has called and gifted me to do. But I am not Kevin and Chase's boss. And they're not my boss. And I'm not better than them. And I'm not more gifted than them. We have differing roles. And we cooperate together as we do the best we can to lead the body of Christ. You know, I, I wished... Well, I'll just say this. This is what, and you might hear this term thrown around, this is what we call plurality in leadership or plural eldership or a symposium or a collection of pastors. This is kind of what we refer to it as, where we are all equal in our authority and we're equal in our weight, but we have a difference in, in the roles that God has called us to play out. And, and that shouldn't be such a weird concept for us. We talked about the Trinity last week. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Equal in their weight, their glory, their authority, their brilliance, their magnificence. They're all fully God. But they have a difference in role, don't they? Don't you find them cooperating? Doing things differently, but cooperating. That's how we do it. It is slower to do it this way. It is harder for us to do it this way. Listen, it's much easier for me to be in charge and bark orders, and have people just run. That's easier, but it sure isn't healthy for you guys, is it? Because who's looking after me? Who's walking alongside me? This is important. And I don't have time to go into the biblical justification of all of this. I really wished I could. That would take more than one sermon. We did write a positional paper on this, and we had to submit it to Acts 29 whenever we became a member Um, of the network. So I have that. I actually have a couple copies with me. But if you want the digital copy, you can either email me or text me your email, and I will send you a digital copy. And then whenever we go over our partnership in our partnership class in January, we'll hammer it really hard, clear up any confusion that you have. And we're free to answer any questions that you have today as well. I just don't have time to get in there. I'd rather zoom out real briefly and not take a whole lot of time up here. I would like to say that broadly... The New Testament charges us to do some things as elders. It's my job as an elder. It's our job as an elder to lead you guys in the word through preaching and teaching that does not stink. That's my job. It can't stink. It has to be relevant. It has to be comprehensible. It has to be able to have lines drawn straight to you. We have to be able to call out false teaching. That's a job we have. Even if it means calling false teaching out or teachers out, publicly even if it means calling them out publicly by name even if it means doing it publicly by name even to their face and that has to happen sometimes it also means that we have to exhort and admonish you in sound doctrine that's what we do when we preach the word we're giving you guys the scripture that lifts all the weight for us and shows us jesus more clearly we show you where the gospel pertains to our lives in that passage and then we usually encourage and admonish you to respond to respond there's something we're provoking you to do through that that's admonishing and exhorting you in the light of scripture that's part of our job it's also to visit the sick and to pray it's part of our job because we were sick when jesus came and visited us as the infirmed It's an easy thing for us to look like Jesus in that. We're also here to judge doctrinal issues. Very simply, we're here to care for and serve you. To take care, to serve you, to lay our lives down for you. And as legacy grows, as we grow, it is insufficient for us to grow wide and not grow deep in pastoral care to the church. It's insufficient. It's out of the question for us. All right? We need to grow deep as we do wide. 
today is a pretty historic day for us, you know, because we get to set in Matt, Matt Norman is an elder. I'll tell you why that's historic. Not because this is the first time this has happened in our church. We came with three pastors, with me, and Kevin, and Chase. We came, but we were already pastors when we did this. We were already elders, right? Already had been set in by our sending church. So it is historic in that event, but it's also historic in the fact that he is the first person in this church's history, which I hope is a long one, that came to be a pastor in this church that did not come for the express purpose of planting this church. He came the same way you guys did, all right? He just moved here, went online. Is that what your, is that what your computers do? Maybe I should take mine in. So he saw Legacy Church, calls us. Hey, yeah, my name is Matt. I was wanting to bring my wife to a gathering. Just had a quick question. I looked at the map, and it's pointing out a house. Is that right? <laughs> dozens of dozens and dozens of those phone calls. Those people never showed up. You know, it's funny because we're all meeting in houses still, aren't we? But they came. I think they're one of the first families, if not the first family. I always get them and the Thornburgs mixed up. But they were the first family we had. And they did life with us. Super Bowl parties with us. Cried, we prayed, we laughed, we partied, we hung out, we did mission, we did life. He had concerns, he'd bring them, we'd dress them, we'd pray for each other. We did a life together. And two and a half years later, we're setting the man in as a pastor of this church to take care of you. That's why it's historic. And when we add pastors to the church, we look for some very specific things. And it's a long vetting process, nine months or more, of us looking into their lives probing, examining, which was easy with Matt because he's such an open book with us. But we look at some very, very specific things. One of them is, is do they even desire it? Do they even want to do this? Because that's important. Peter says in 1 Peter not to do it under compulsion. Don't be obligated to do it. You should have this aspiration and a desire to do it. And then we, we actually see it in 1 Timothy 3. It says this, If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires... A noble task. So you see aspiration and desire there. Because if it's under obligation, you guys won't feel cared for very well, will you? I mean, why does this really matter? Because ministry is tough. Ministry is tough, right? And it blows families apart. And it fractures marriages, right? I mean, just in our network alone, just in Acts 29 alone, just in the last two and a half years, we've had two suicides, right? We've had a few blowed-up marriages. It's very real. It's very real. That's why pastors have, I think, the third highest divorce rate. 85% of pastors' wives, when asked, if your husband can go back in time and not be a pastor, would you rather him not be a pastor? 85% of wives said, yes, I'd rather him go back in time and not do this. Right? Ministry is tough. Why is it so tough? Because people are tough. Because you're tough. (laughs) You guys are hard. Right? And if we do it under compulsion, if we feel obligated to do it, and we don't want to do it, then eventually we're going to get bitter with you. And we're going to start hating you instead of praying for you and laying our lives down. We're going to start wishing that you would just stop showing up. That's what will happen. And then you'll start to feel it. And then you'll get bitter at us for being bitter with you. And then before you know it, we just want to fist fight in the front yard instead of do life together, right? That's what happens. Some of y'all are thinking, is he talking about me? Am I tough? I know it. Not you. The person next to you, though, okay? (laughs) Uh 
We also look to see that they are called and gifted for the task. Not everybody can do this. Is this obvious? Not everybody can do this. It does take a certain skill set to do this, right? We see this in Ephesians 4. Don't turn there. It's not even going to be on the screen. But in Ephesians 4, you have this beautiful sight of God coming and giving gifts to men. He's giving men specific gifts. And he says, God gave us apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Not all of us are all of those offices, right? We're not all. Now, do we all pass for each other? Yes. Yes. And some of us might even be gifted to do that. Do we lead each other? Absolutely. And some of us are gifted to lead ourselves, our family, our, our living rooms. We're good at that. But not everyone has the bandwidth to steer and lead and serve and lay down their lives for a church. That is not for everybody. It does take a certain gift and calling, a certain skill set. We also look to see that they're qualified. You know, look at 1 Timothy 3. This is going to be important for all of you. So if some of you have been drifting off, this would be a great place to come back on the on-ramp with us. In 1 Timothy 3, it says this, The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. Now, everything he's about to list falls under that umbrella phrase of under, uh, above reproach. Husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must, enge- he must manage his own household well with the dignity of keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Okay, listen. There is no way everyone in here has a desire or a calling to lead a church. I know that. I know that. But all of us can aspire to these qualifications. All of us can aspire to these qualifications because in the end it's describing Jesus for us who is our chief pastor, the greatest elder who's ever lived, our chief shepherd. It's describing Jesus. Aspiring to the qualifications of an elder or a deacon, and we haven't even touched deacons today. That's a totally different subject. It deserves its own time, which we do need to do because we've got to set in some deacons. But just aspiring to those qualifications is aspiring to be like Jesus. And the reason we aspire to these qualifications, the reason we want to do these things, be a, a one-person spouse, the husband or the, of one wife or the wife of one husband, I guess you can say it that way, to be sober-minded, to be focused, to be respectable, hospitable, able to bring grace to outsiders is what that means, able to teach, not overcome by wine, all these things. We don't do those things so God likes us more. We do those because God has liked us through the person of Jesus Christ eternally. And because of that, we are provoked by desire to be qualified. That doesn't afford us anything to do this as if it's a checklist. But because of what Jesus has done, the checklist is gone. And this becomes a desire that burns down in each of us. But I will tell you, I was putting this together this week and looking at this. Our flesh, it wants to go in the opposite direction of this list. It wants to go the wrong way, doesn't it? It wants to go against the grain. I look at this list and I, 
I realized that after 17 years of being a pastor, my flesh wants to steadily disqualify me. I look at this list. I, I just, I could feel it. I look at the things on there and I think, man, my flesh wants to go the other way so bad. But what I love about what Jesus has done is he is the truly, he is the only qualified pastor. He is the only qualified pastor that took the form of a disqualified people on the cross that you and I would be qualified before God. That's what he did. That's the gospel for us, especially in this passage. He is the one qualified pastor that took the form of an entire disqualified people on the cross, receiving squarely on his shoulders what was aimed at ours. And he did that so that we could be qualified and not disqualified before God. So now we're free. We're free to live a life that reflects his glory. We're free to live a a list like this. I mean, in God's church can be led by men, by God's grace, that are reflecting God's glory as we look at a list like this. So, as I tone this part of what we're doing today down, just a couple things, a couple charges for you, right? First of all, some of you, some of you men might have an aspiration in you to pastor, might have a desire banging around in there somewhere, and I don't know what form that might look. I don't, I don't know what form that might take, rather. I don't know where you would be in there. But some of you I know have that. I've talked to you. I would just submit to you to look at these qualifications. Look hard. Let them chase you to Jesus. See Jesus in this, in these qualifications before you try to measure yourself up against them. Right? Look at your heart. Look at your heart towards people. Look at your calling and your gifting. Do you have people around you affirming that, or are you just printing your own business cards virtually? I'd say it was men, look at this list. Look now, too. Don't wait until you're old and crusty like me. Look now. I mean, look now. Look now at the list. This is what Alexander Strock says. He's kind of the Yoda in, in our world when it comes to what pastors are and what churches should look like with pastors in them. And he says this, One reason there are so few shepherds and elders and good church pastors today is that, generally speaking, men are lazy. Men are spiritually lazy. Men are more willing to let someone else fill their spiritual responsibilities, whether it be their wives, the clergy, or church professionals. I agree with Alex here. Stop being lazy. Look now. Look at the qualifications. Where do you falter? Do you think that's just going to go away because you grow up? (laughs) It's not. It might actually get worse. It might get harder. Look at the qualifications. Some of you stand totally disqualified. Totally disqualified. Not because this list calls you a failure, but because your own list calls you a failure. Your own list of things that you muster up in self-righteousness, you know, that, that attempt you have to not cuss as much. To, you promise this time you're going to give more to the Salvation Army here in a few weeks when they start dinging the bells, right? You promise this. You're going to try harder on that. And you have these building blocks for your own Tower of Babel where you're going to build a tower and it's going to go up and up and up and up and up until finally you're looking at God and you have your Sunday school vest on with all of its badges and you say, look, are we cool? Look at all I did. Are we cool? Friends, you're not cool. That's not going to work. But that's what we do. You are only qualified because of the act of one who was truly qualified 
who went before you, right? So yeah, this is a sermon on pastoring and what pastors should look like, especially in a church. I get that. But make no mistake, it's a pastor. It's also a sermon on being qualified, just qualified on what Jesus has done for us. And then the last group I'd, I'd really like for you to consider, I hope all of you would be in this group, is to pray. Pray for our pastors. It seems self-serving for me to tell you to pray for me. But please pray for me. Pray for my family. Pray for Kevin's family. Pray for him. Chase, Matt, and their families, their kids. I cannot tell you, the second you put on the name pastor or elder, you pick a cosmic fight that you're just not ready for. You think you are. But then the sleepless nights come. And then the night terrors. And then the attacks. And then the attacks on your family. Then the attacks on your, your body, you know. I just got a, a, a scan done uh, on my organs to see the relative health. <laughs> my adrenal glands are, so, are in such bad shape. They weren't when I, before I started this. But the doctor said, the only people I see ratings that low, <laughs> never a sentence you want to hear come out of a doctor's mouth, the only time I see ratings this low is in Navy SEALs and in pastors. That's not good, you know. Pray for us. Pray for us. Because this is a hard, deadly, trying, difficult, but honorable, but joyful, loving. We love this.